Alrighty, well, it's good to see you here, and um, yeah, believe it or not, I'm preaching to you, so <laughs> if you're coming for someone else, I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, thank you. Thank you, Pastor Jack and Carol. Thank you, honestly. It's an honor. Thank you to all our friends, every single one of you here. Thank you for your support, and thank you to my parents. They're not here. They're in Queensland, so <laughs> honestly, thank you to them because they've been a big influence on me, so... That's good. Well, well, there used to be uh, an ad like way back when, I think when I was born, which was ages ago, and they used to advertise like a, a set of knives, right? And these knives, they could cut through all sorts of things like bread, fruits, vegetables, meat, frozen goods. <laughs> and then at one point in the ad, the TV presenter gets like the knife, one of the knives, and then cuts through a leather shoe. Now, I don't know why you would need a kitchen knife to cut through a shoe, right? But if, if you have people like that in your lives, that's probably a perfect Christmas gift for them. Okay, but um, one of the most iconic things about this ad was the guy advertising would always say, but there's more, but wait, there's more. There's always more, you know, as a way to like entice people to buy the thing. And that's the thing, isn't it? We're always looking for more, aren't we? Always looking for more. We're looking for more space, more entertainment. If you like my family, more food or more savings in your pockets. And the funny thing is our search for more doesn't always just end with like the tangible things, you know? We always look for more of the intangible things as well, like, like more certainty, more trust, more time, more hope more peace, more significance, uh, let's see, more answers to the meaning of life and our place in it. And do you ever, like, do you ever ask yourself if there's more to life? If there's more to your life? Do you ever wonder, like, about what you do and whether it matters or not? I wouldn't be surprised if more people are asking that today than they were before. And if we are, like, we wouldn't be the first, the first human beings to ever live to ask those big life questions. Because during Jesus' time, there were like heaps of these people. They were called the poor. In the Hebrew culture, being poor didn't just mean like someone who didn't have a whole lot of money. Being poor like refers to people of low social status, people like women, the sick, children, tax collectors, even though they were like rich, people who were ostracized and considered outcasts. These people on the outside didn't appear to offer a lot. Um, and to the eyes of the world, they, they had nothing to offer. They were second class and they were nobodies. In the New Testament, we come across two people who fit this description. So in Luke 19, we're introduced to, I think, a man we all know. His name is Zacchaeus. And in verse 1, it says, Then Jesus entered and walked through Jericho. There was a man there. His name is Zacchaeus the head taxman, and quite rich. Well, don't mind me that. He wanted desperately to see Jesus, but the crowd was in his way. He was a short man. He couldn't see over the crowd. So he ran on ahead, climbed up a sycamore tree so he could see Jesus when he came by. When Jesus got to the tree, he looked up and said, Zacchaeus, hurry down. Today's my day to be a guest in your home. Zacchaeus scrambled out of the tree, hardly believing his good luck, delighted to take Jesus home with him. Everyone who saw the incident was indignant and grumped, 
Oh, what business does he have getting crazy with this crook? Zacchaeus just stood there, a little stunned. He stammered apologetically, Master, if I give away, I give away half my income to the poor, and if I'm caught cheating, I pay four times the damages. Honestly, I wish this guy was my tax person, because <laughs> I wouldn't mind four times back. Jesus said, Today is salvation day in this home. Here he is, Zacchaeus, son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to find and restore the lost. Zacchaeus was what's known in ancient Greek as an akitelonis. Now, I don't speak ancient Greek, so I'm sorry if I just butchered that word. That word, when you translate it, means a chief tax collector or superintendent of tax collectors. So if you're like me, you work in retail, you have your casuals, you have your part-timers, then you have your managers. But then there's your area managers. He's like that. He's the boss's boss. Okay? This word only appears once in the entire Bible when Zacchaeus' occupation is stated. As chief tax collector, he was very wealthy. I mean, the man was rolling in dough. Okay? And they were known to charge the working class more tax than necessary, even to breaking point. I think I read somewhere that there was even a family, like there were people known to have had lived on land, passed from one generation to another, and then they had to sell that land to pay for their taxes, but then they were kept on the land to work for it while somebody else owned their family land, right? So that's the, uh, that's the situation that Jesus walks into. So Zacchaeus was very comfortable. He had all the things anyone could ever want. So it wouldn't be an exaggeration to say that he was probably the most resented person in all of Jericho. And not only because he may very well have been taking more than he should, but also because he was seen as a traitor to his own people for working for the Roman Empire. Okay, so that's Zacchaeus. That's the first person. Then in John 4, we're introduced to a woman of Samaritan descent. We don't know her name. We don't know her family background. We don't know what she did for a living. What we do know is that she was on her way to Jacob's well, okay, a very famous well in a city called Sychar, to collect her daily supply of water in the middle of the day. While she's at this well, she meets Jesus, who to her was a very peculiar Jew because, one, he spoke to her, right? She's a woman, and she's a Samaritan woman. Samaritan and Jews, they don't mix, okay? There's a lot of racial and cultural tension between them. And two, they have a very interesting conversation about, of all things, water. In verse 13, we read, Jesus said, everyone who drinks this water will get thirsty again and again. Anyone who drinks the water I give will never thirst, not ever. The water I give will be an artesian spring gushing fountains of endless life. Over the course of their conversation, we learn that the woman has been married five times and that the man she had been living with then wasn't even her husband. So this gives us a clue as to why she was collecting water in the middle of the day when it's really warm instead of the morning when it's much cooler like all the other women in her city, right? Her community may have deemed her unclean and unworthy because of her relationship status. We're always thirsty for more. 
We find one source and drink our fill from that. However, once it runs out, we look for another source to fill from, and then another, and then another, and then another, right? Until we create this cycle of unsatisfying thirst. But what Jesus was telling her was that he was the giver of living water. This is a kind of water that that not only satiates our thirst, but it cleanses our heart, right, and creates more life. Can you believe it? Like, like being alive, but being even more alive. I don't, I don't know if that makes sense, but it's like that. In John 10.10, Jesus said, The thief does not come to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. With Jesus, there will always be more life to live because he is in the business of redemption and restoration. Okay? Without Jesus, we are more vulnerable and more exposed to being plundered and taken out by the one he calls the thief. The poor of his time recognized this difference in Jesus. He had what they were looking for. That's why masses of them flocked to him, because he came for people just like them. Zacchaeus and the Samaritan woman, they were both written off by their communities. They were both deeply flawed human beings. Yet Jesus met them. He met them where they were at in their lives, real earth time. Right? He wasn't meeting them before all that. He wasn't meeting them when they got their life together. Right there and then, that's when he met them. He met Zacchaeus when he was up in a tree. Okay? A Jewish men, dignified Jewish men, they don't do that. They don't climb up trees. They don't even run. That's, you don't do that in public. <laughs> but he did. And then he met the Samaritan woman when she was carrying out her daily responsibilities. He wasn't deterred by their messy like history and reputation. He didn't look past them as if, you know, they were another face in the crowd. He saw them. He saw them. And then he spent time with them. Neither of them, okay, neither of them were the same after their very short encounter with Jesus. They both received more than they ever thought they deserved. They received forgiveness, salvation, grace, peace, and eternal life. About um, three to four years ago, okay, I was in a time in my life I like to call the wandering, okay, still working, like workshopping that label. Um, I can't really call it the wandering because that's how I pictured my life at the time. I had no idea what I was supposed to be doing. (laughs) I thought you were supposed to know, but I didn't. Um, Didn't know where I was going, worked a few jobs. At one point I was working four jobs. And, um, yeah, I didn't think to stop because I thought if I stopped, right, then my life is over, okay? Everybody else seems to be getting their lives together, so I should be too, right? I should have this all figured out. There was a fear that had a few layers to it. One of it was if I wasn't successful and if I wasn't keeping up, my life was a complete waste and a letdown, Another layer was, if I wasn't working within God's will for my life, then he would be very angry with me. So a lot of the things I did back then was motivated from a place of like crippling fear of of not being good enough 
and not doing the right thing. And there was no life in it, right? Nothing. It left me nothing but misery, sorrow, shame and regret. How can life exist in that? Eventually, I came to believe that um, once my 20s ended and then my 30s are going to start, there will be no more, no more opportunities, no more potential for the future God had for me. There would be no more, nothing more, full stop. Okay? What a load of baloney that was. I'll tell you that right now. That's what that was. I can't remember exactly what changed except... Uh, that on an encounter weekend, we have these things called encounter weekends. Oh, by the way, they'll, they'll be starting next year, so I recommend going on one. Um, but one, on one of these weekends, I was, um, I was reminded of my identity. Matthew 3.17 says, And suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Through Jesus, I became a child of God. I received the Father's love, and then I'm, I was affirmed by him. That's my identity. That's where the root of all my problems were coming from. I had no idea who I was. And I cannot tell you how good it is to finally be released from the lies and the crippling fear and to embrace the truth that as a child of God, there is still more in Jesus for me. Okay, It hasn't always been smooth sailing, all right? Okay, there's a few ups and downs, still moments of doubts and insecurities flaring up. That's just the reality of life here on earth. That's always going to be a part of it. The difference now is the conviction that I'm not alone because Jesus is with me and I belong to him. And because I belong to him, I have access to an abundance of life. Jeremiah 29:11 says, For I know the plans I have for you says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. You may be like Zacchaeus, who, even though he had like a lot, he lacked the kind of treasure that had eternal value. Or you may be like the Samaritan woman, who was loaded down with a lot of broken relationships and then scarred from it and the condescending attitude people gave her. Wherever you may be in your life right now, you deserve to know, okay? Listen, listen very carefully. You deserve to know that God loves you more than you ever realize or will ever believe and that he has plans for you. These plans are good and they are plans to produce hope and a future. You are not forgotten. You're not overlooked. You're not unseen or undervalued. That's a lie from the devil. You can take it and you can chuck it back at him. That's what you can do with that. He sees you. He knows you. He calls out to you. He offers you the same thing he offered to Zacchaeus and the Samaritan woman. Forgiveness, salvation, grace, peace, and eternal life. Let me pray for you. Father, I thank you that in our darkness, Lord, you came to us. You sent Jesus to us. And he was the light of the world. He still is. And I pray for that very light, Lord, 
that it will pierce the clouds of darkness in the lives of people, people who are searching for hope, searching for life, searching for answers, Lord, people who are struggling, people who who just have nothing left, nothing more to live for. I pray, Jesus, in your name, that your light will pierce through that cloak of darkness in their life, that they will see your light and that they will walk towards it, Father, that you call them, you call them, Lord. Help them to hear you calling to them, Jesus. You are calling them home, and I pray that your Holy Spirit will guide them there, light the way for them there. I pray that you will restore them, you will redeem them, and that they will be enveloped with your love, Lord. In your name I pray.